That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Welcome to Just the Sip, everybody. How are you guys doing? Today I have a special guest. He is someone that I've gotten to know better through working here at E. He is the New York Giant. He is the man behind the Victor Cruz Foundation. And he is probably one of the hottest dudes in daytime television right now. Please welcome Victor Cruz. Guys, welcome to Just a Sip. I feel like today I'm going to get my street cred because (laughs) I'm here with New York giant TV personality, actor, um, foundation founder, philanthropist, (laughs) Victor. What's your middle name, Victor? Uh, We're not going to do it. We're going to get to that today. We're not doing the middle names today. Victor Jabarius Cruz, everybody. (laughs) We'll go with that for now. We'll go with that for now. What's going on, Justin? You know what I figured out? The reason why we get along so well. Okay. We were born three days apart. What? We were born three days apart. That's why. I had no idea. I was like, I don't understand how you get along so well. Like, the first day you came on Daily Pop, I was like, this dude is staying here. If anybody tries to ship his ass back to New York, I am done. Um, how are you like in L.A.? Uh, I'm, I'm loving it, to be honest. And not just because I'm here with my lady, but because the weather's always good every day. I have some friends that are in the neighborhood that I can hang out with that I haven't seen. Um, I love working out and being active. And there's nothing but trails and we go on a run every other day. We were, you know, staying physically fit. It's just like, I guess just the energy and the vibe in LA is just a healthier one for some reason. And I'm, I've been basking in it the past two months. And you know, it's nice cause you're living rent free. I mean, you're living in your girl's house. This juice is free too. I don't know. You know I just went in the fridge and grabbed it. Mm-hmm. And we know she got that cash. I, <laughs> I checked the statements. I know she got that cash. You can't be too loud with this, Justin, because next thing you know, she's going to be asking me, first of the month going to come around, she's going to be like, it's time, bro. It's time. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny whenever you see people and like, you know, you're just a classic, cool, chill dude. You would swear that you were born into this life. Like you always kind of sort of had this cloud, but that wasn't the jam for you. Like you grew up in like the hard streets of Jersey and not the that we see on reality TV. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. you grew up in Patterson. What was that like? Yeah, that was uh, that was interesting. You know, growing up in Patterson, things that that could be catastrophic, like shootings and drive-bys, those things were routine. Like, and I remember I remember one of my classmates in it had to be like fifth grade, 
And uh, I remember coming to school and they were like, yeah, Gary's not with us any longer. He's not here. He got shot last night. And we're like, what do you mean got shot last wow. night? He got like fifth grade was the first time I experienced like that level of trauma. And he was in my class. He sat like two rows over, like three seats yeah. up. And it was, that was the first time it hit me like, okay, this is, I, I don't live in a normal neighborhood. This isn't a normal situation. So that, that pretty much explains Patterson in, in a nutshell. But it's so crazy because, like, you know, when we watch Real Housewives of New Jersey, like, bitches are flipping tables and we're like, oh, my God, that's ghetto. Or, like, they go to the Jersey Shore and we're like, oh, my God, it's fabulous. People don't realize, like, it's when you live in the hood, like, you just don't realize that you're living in the hood at the time until you get out of the hood. Yep, absolutely. You be looking around like, hold on, this is, they got backyards and lawns and what is this? We've never seen none of this before. No, no. When I first like went to a friend's house, I went, mm-hmm. oh, my God, we can walk alone because you know, <laughs> back in the day, like you would get jumped in the hood. So 100%. You, had to have a, you had to have a friend who could fight just as well as you. Uh, but you grew up, interestingly enough, biracial, like you are Afro Latino. Yep. Sometimes mm-hmm. when I was growing up, I was all black, but I went to a white school. And when I came home from that white school, I wasn't black enough for the black kids, what was it like straddling those two minority races? Man, it was, you know, it's funny. I didn't realize it to this degree until now, until I like look back on it. And, and I realized how much my black friends were my black friends. And we had our own, you know, relationship and our own memories and our own experiences. And then I had my group of Spanish friends that I would hang out with them and we had our own. Mem- but if I dare try to bring those, which I did on numerous occasions, it just didn't work. They just didn't accept the cohesiveness of the two things. And this is like 2004, five. So like, this isn't that long ago. Right. So I just remember looking back on it now, realizing like, man, I really had to separate these two parts of my life. And it wasn't fair. And it still isn't fair to this day, but it wasn't fair to me back then. But I didn't realize it till now. Victor, you have a lot of money. You are a (laughs) smart man. Why the f*** are you going to buy a house 17 minutes from mother? Patterson. <laughs> I'm from Brobridge. And guess what? I'm not buying a mother house and I have all that money. I'm not going back to that neighborhood. And if I'm 17 minutes away, it's by helicopter. I think with me is like, I also like on the flip side of all of that, right? I'm, I'm somewhat of a beacon of hope for my hood and a beacon of hope for New yes. Jersey and Patterson and coming up. So I never wanted to be too far away from that. And I do a lot of work in the community, the local boys and girls club there as we continue to grow and, and, and you know, change the lives of, of as many kids as possible. Um, I'm just trying to stay as close as I can. So I need to jump back and be in front of some Patterson folk in the minute, I could just jump back and say, what's up? You know, I always wanted to be yeah. tangible. I always wanted to be that person that gave back, but was also tangible, not just someone you see on TV and you never see him again in real life. 100%. By the way, I love the city that I'm from, and I hope one day I can afford to buy a house in that piece. Stop it. Because it you is can. such a great place. Um, I read somewhere that you bought 100 Chromebooks for Patterson School District, yet you mm-hmm. can't give me a decent bottle of rosé at your house. So, <laughs> is this? What I got so many bottles here, so many. No, bottles no, ready to be sent. No, 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 no. Let me tell you what Victor pulled on me the other day. <laughs> I was like, "Oh yeah, Victor, since you live so close and we're working together, we should hang now. We should hang." Let's and hang he out. did what my mama would do. He did what my mama would do. He'd be like, mm, "Don't get the good <laughs> out. No, no, no. That's just Saint Patty. Get the get no." no. 
Get the yeah, get the cheap out. You know, and you know when they get here and you got it all laid out on the counter. Look, I went and grabbed the rosé. Here it yeah. is. You yeah. know what I mean? Make you feel special about it. You know, you put a towel around it so you don't see the, the label of the rosé. Exactly. But I'm a staunch rosé drinker, so I know the label by the bottle, and I know where that <laughs> bottle's been. <laughs> Another thing that happened in my community, I grew up with, like, Dominique Davis and all of those guys who ended up at the NFL, but the only way out of the hood was by dribbling or catching a football. Yep. So when did you realize that was your ticket out of that space? I think it was very young. I was a kid that as soon as I was like six, seven years old, my mother made sure I was active, out the house, playing basketball, playing football. Well, I played football when I was around 11, but I was in karate school at like seven years old. From seven to 12 years old, I was I was a karate school kid. So like I was just doing different things, staying active. And I think it wasn't until high school where like my junior year of high school, I'm playing and I'm like scoring touchdowns and it kind of dawned on me like this is this level of football where I'm at is coming really easy for me. Like, it's just yeah. the way that it's unfolding. It's like a little too easy. So I think that I might have a future in this. So let me cultivate and really hone in on my craft. And I put all my eggs in that basket. And uh, and after some ups and downs, I ended up paying off on it. The kids that you grew up with, because a lot mm-hmm. of times I look back and I get so offended that no one in my life was like, if you get an education, you could get out of here. Like, Mm -hmm. it's easy to get out of here. You just need to figure this whole thing out with school and grants. I often feel like we don't focus enough on that. And there are people that I grew up with who found that their only way out was through sports. Was that the same in your neighborhood where people really didn't focus on the education? People only paid attention to people who excelled at sports. Big time. That was a huge thing. It was only like the guys that played sports or the women that played sports got the extra attention, got the extra love, got the extra resources that was needed. Whereas the other people that were just as talented, maybe in other fields, didn't get the same attention and didn't get the same level of resources to help them and nurture them to what they wanted to do. And, you know, it was just unfortunate. And, it, and it's still like that in a lot of places, like athletes get treated differently and not just treated differently the masses and all of us aren't told that we can do other things aside yes. from being from, from sport. I think that's the thing is they didn't even raise us for the awareness that there's other things that you can do. It was either yeah. if you could dribble or you could shoot or you could throw a ball 70 yards or that was it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But now as Victor Cruz, the New York giant, Patterson's golden boy, how are you painting <laughs> that? Because if you're not trying to change that, we're going to have to fight. No, no, no. I'm fully vested in changing that. And it starts. With, it started with my foundation. I think going back to the Boys and Girls Club that I grew up going to and implementing these STEM programs and implementing these different resources for these kids to flourish, I think that's going to give them the resources so that they can have a base level knowledge of science, technology, engineering, and math with all topics that I sucked at, that I need other kids to understand and not just understand it, right, but learn it. Yeah. I think they're learning it with the programming that we've chosen, they learn it on, on a hands-on level, which they're not even understanding that they're doing science. They're just having fun building underwater submarines that are remote controlled. You know what I'm saying? So they're learning in a hands-on way, not even processing that. They're actually fulfilling science, technology. They're building things. They're getting those resources that they need to be better. Look, I'm not, I'm not mad. I'm not mad about it. See? I ain't mad. good. But let's go back to when you were Victor Cruz, that dude, senior in high school, signed with UMass. You're the Mm -hmm. biggest fish on campus at this point at your high school. 
What happened when you went to college? Oh man, I got to college and thought I was that same man that I thought I was in high school. I thought I was gonna be that same <laughs> man in college. I got oh, there. you thought you thought the the credit rolled over. I thought it, I thought the the love rolled over. I thought the love rolled over to be honest. Um, but I got there and I realized very quickly that they were like, "Oh, you oh you don't got your GPA? Oh yeah, you got to go home, bro." And I was like, "Wait, like no, I'm gonna just wait in the room. Y'all gonna figure it out." And then they're like, "No, you gotta pack your bags." and go home because you have been sent home for this semester due to academic issues. And I was like, wait, what? Oh, you thought you got handed yeah. grades because yeah. you were Victor Cruz. I thought I watched blue chips too many times and I saw <laughs> teachers just getting $50 handshakes to pass kids. I thought that was like a real thing. And I found out very quickly that it was not being sent home twice uh, from college on two separate occasions. Your mother must have whipped your ass. Oh man! And, oh, that yo and the yo. I love my mother to death, and she's amazing now because obviously we're in a you know it's a different time. We're in a different circumstance. But back then, when I had to give her that call and say, it was scathing hot. That voice on the phone, and then when I got home, it was just boiling over hours because that my school was about three and a half hours away, so it was just boiling. And then when I walked in. I got the wrath, man, the, the full scolding. She wasn't playing around. But how embarrassing that you almost ruined your whole life. Did it Was it even settling in at that moment? Because I think a lot of kids take that for granted and they don't realize you almost didn't become Victor Mother Cruz. That's a real thing. I think about that all the time. And, and in the moment, I really wasn't, you know, I never allowed myself to be like, man, this is over. And I think that was the best thing that I could have done is like not not give in to the to where I was. Even though I was home, I was still taking college, you know, college credits and college classes, still trying to stay ahead of the curve. And, you know, giving all my friends like some sorry excuse as to why I'm not in college. Like, yeah, they let me go home for a semester. Just so I didn't face that embarrassment. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So and once I would go back to UMass, I finally got my stuff together. And we figured it out and I made it through and graduated with like over 3.0 and just, it just made it happen. Damn. And you, crazy. And, and you did something that a lot of people don't do. You got a college degree. Yes. Why Mama was got that, that thing up on the wall? Why was that important for you? Because you could have went into the draft junior year. Like mm -hmm. most I think people it was, at the it, height it of their a, careers. Well, well, first of all, it was a promise I made to moms that I was going to get my degree and, and and bring that plaque home for her because I was the first person in my family to have a college degree. And I think that's something that, you know, should be put up on the wall and should be, you know, um, talked about. You know what I'm saying? So I think it was something that just I just knew I, it had to be done. I knew that as a black man in this world, in this society, you can't do nothing without a degree, at least a degree from the school you went to four year college. Like if you got that, you can start somewhere. That's a foundation you can start with and be smart. My mother always taught me that. And I knew that was something I needed to accomplish. Oh my God. I love that. Mm -hmm. I'm about to say someone's name and we are going to bleep this name out. Okay. Because it's going to lead us into our next part of our conversation. Okay. I had a friend in college named. Okay. And got drafted. I'm not going to say what team he got drafted to. Mm -hmm. And he told me who he was going there with. And I was like, what are you doing? <laughs> Why the f are you bringing 
The river, like, why are you bringing these people with you? You are going to ruin this. This moment for you is going to be a whirlwind. This is a once in a lifetime chance at building a future. How many people get drafted into the NFL? I mean, there's seven rounds in the NFL, 32 teams, and then there's three rounds of, you know, being drafted. But the higher you're drafted, the better your chances are. So this one always- was first round. Yeah. High pick. He went to but it didn't matter. He was still Mm -hmm. a high pick. And it often worried me that I feel like at times people aren't prepared mentally and emotionally for what's about to happen, especially on the financial front. Oh, it's it's a huge deal on the financial front, especially for me, because I had never seen, you know, I was a free agent. I was in the league minimum for the first three years. And I had never explained that. Record. Explain free agent to people who don't know. So a free agent is basically uh, someone that did not get drafted into the first seven rounds of the draft. They got called in afterwards. So you go in on basically a tryout basis. You come yes. in because they liked you. You may not have qualified for the first seven rounds or however many rounds that they had, but they liked you enough to bring you in and give you a shot at making the team, essentially. How hard was it for you to go through the draft with your peers? hear their names being called up because as I like, there's TV cameras everywhere. It was uh well, there wasn't no TV cameras for me. I was home at the crib in Patterson, New Jersey, my mom in the crib, just sweeping profusely because she didn't, you know, she was as uh, her anxiety levels were high. Cause she, obviously as my mom, she wants me to be picked and she wants my name to come across the screen yeah. and have that, have that moment, you know? So yeah. So she's sweeping, nervous, and I'm just kind of watching it. And the thing for me, I was a realist. I knew I wasn't 6'5". I knew I wasn't, you know, I didn't go to Florida State. I wasn't this big heralded wide receiver. But I knew I had some talent, and I knew I had fight, and I knew I was going to come into any team and give it everything I had. So um, that feeling of not getting drafted. But I'll tell you what, after the draft is when all the phone calls go out to the free agents. And the scout from the New York Giants called me, and he was like, man, are you ready to be a giant? And I was like, Absolutely. Like, you can't gas me up like that on this phone. I'll pay you. I'll pay you. And and I had a Giants hat that I had, like, I don't know. I think I went to, like, one of their local pro days, and they gave me, like, some merch. Man, I put that hat on and walked outside. You would have thought my name got called. (laughs) Everybody was outside like, yo. I was like, yo. But, you know, know, that was just one moment for me. But I still had to work hard and beat out people and and, and play my heart out. But that moment was was big time for me. What was it like going to that practice camp without that confidence of – I'm a third round pick. I'm a fourth round pick. I'm that, you know, I'm that dude that got in first round. What was that like for you? It was tough. You know, I Um, would not be able to go. I'd be like, y'all didn't want me enough to have me me here. Yeah, for real. And that's a real thing. And that's a real thing. And even more so, like other free agents were, not only were they getting this contract to come try out, so to speak, but they were also getting like money. Like they were getting like signing bonuses. Even if you were a free agent, they were getting 30, 40 grand, whatever yeah. it was, they were getting it. I didn't get a red cent. I was just Damn. like, oh, all I, all I got was room and board. Like, I don't know what y'all talking about. So At a Marriott. Just, did you see this, this rookie for the Seahawks got caught bringing a girl to his hotel room and got kicked off the team? Come on, man. Way, I was like this, I've been there. I have been there. <laughs> like, I didn't get busted. On, man. <laughs> But you're a rookie. You're not even – and it's week one. It's the first week of this. 
It is week one. And by the way, bringing abroad to a training camp, maybe on a normal year where like things aren't maybe so crazy. Like week three of the season, maybe when things are already flowing, not the first week of training camp. And the dumb dumb part about it was we already knew because we're judging from what the NBA is doing. The NFL is going to follow suit. Everybody yeah. in the NBA is getting a friend and family moment to come and mm-hmm. hang out in the bubble. All you had to do was wait three or four weeks. You would have been ushered right on in. Ushered right you on wouldn't in. even have to get in the sweats and, the, and <laughs> take your wig off and put it in your purse. <laughs> she, they say she was dressed in Seahawks gear. <laughs> she took her wig off and put it in her purse, Victor. I can't. You can't make this up, man. What was it like going in to the first practice, knowing yeah. that you weren't in that jam? It was, um, it was, it was tough. It was tough for me going in because I knew that there were like nine young receivers in front of me, and for me to really prove myself, I was going to have to go above and beyond. And my college coach, I'll never forget it. He says to me, "If you want to succeed in the NFL as a, as an undrafted free agent, you have to make one wild play every single day." whether it's on special teams, whether it's you show your coach that you knew what you were doing on this play or you go and make a touchdown catch. And I really took that to heart. And I was like, every day I'm going to line up out here and I'm going to make, I might, I might have three mistakes because it's my first week out here. And like, I'm figuring it out just like everybody else, but I'm going to have one wild play every day. And every day, sure enough, I was making plays and doing things and scoring touchdowns and making those wild plays at least, Every day, sometimes a couple times a day, which was a blessing. What was it like when you got that first check? First of all, <laughs> this is how you know I'm from Patterson, right? Because I get the check. I know I'm in the locker room with everybody. And I get the check and I look at it and I'm like, ooh. I start looking around like, who? <laughs> ain't nobody. Is this right? Like, is this right? Ooh. I'm like, y'all paying me this much to go run around on this field and sweat for two hours a day? I could do this. Sign me up. It was right. It was right. And it was like the most I had had ever seen before. Like it was 10 grand in a check. And obviously like guys like Eli are making quadruple, triple that. But I had never seen 10 grand in a check with a comma. It had a comma on it with two numbers on the other side. I said, oh, yeah, this is (laughs) we could do this. We could do this. What was the first? Because, you know, before you get financially responsible, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, you mm got to up a little bit. Just a little something. We all did it. What was that first up? Oh, that first one. What was that? What was that? What was the one Susie Orman would have been like, Victor, (laughs) Jabarius Cruz? (laughs) No, I think, well, for me, I didn't have a car. So I didn't have, I never had had a car up until that point. My mother ain't had no money to give me a car. I never had a car. So I went and brought me a shiny new Audi A5 just to get me in, 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 you know, moving from point A to point, you know, just a starter car. That's a bit. But I'll let you know this. When I got my, when the Giants, blessed my life and con- uh, and congratulated me with an, a contract extension after year I don't know, three or four of my career, I went out and got that Ferrari. Like I was Ooh. like, I need to come out here and come correct so these people know how I'm, how I'm coming through. <laughs> how I'm coming through. <laughs> but, but yeah, that was the big part. Then I got mom situated and retired her and like did the whole thing. So it was all good. What was that f- up, Victor? Yeah, for me it was it was some investments. I made some bad investments. It was a uh, I was with this company that was handling my funds, and I thought they were making good investments, and I ended up losing a lot, like a lot of money. 
and it was hectic for a minute there. That's for sure. So, so your role on Ballers was actually mm-hmm. real. That was <laughs> that was actually real. That was actually real, and it was crazy because these people are like, I went to visit their offices. They seem legit, and I go and never trust a financial, you know, a financial advisor that is making investments with the company that works downstairs because they're probably in cahoots together and they're probably just, you know, making their money the best way they can and using you until they can't anymore. You know what I'm saying? CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. A lot of players don't make it out the league with financial success. Why is that? Like, why are so many NFL players getting out the league and being broke and destitute? Well, I think a lot of them live in the now and they live in the, and I got the money now. It's always going to come They're in year three and they feel like the money's always going to come and they're going to play for 15 years. And, you know, they're going to have this free flow of cash for years on end and they're spending money fast in the moment. Whereas in reality, that person probably only lasted five years or four years in the league, mm. only made, you know, $2 million total before uncle Sam gets his piece. And then Ooh. now you, now you're looking at how am I going to pay for this $30,000 a month apartment that I didn't, you know, I thought I was going to keep getting these checks that were going to continue to roll in. So I think a lot of guys live in the now. And then when their careers are actually done and over with, they're going to look at their bank account and be like, Oh, I didn't save as much as I should have. Damn. And now they're looking for, it's a whole thing. Now they're looking for work. Mind you, m- most of these players come from areas that they've never worked before. All they had was sports. And, and then now they have to a find lot of a job. Don't have college educations uh, on top of that. Don't even have a degree. A lot of guys came out early, what have you. So they're looking for jobs now and don't even understand where to start. Don't even know what they're good at outside of football because Ooh. they've never even ventured off into that lane. So it's like, it's a whole thing with these players. I can't even tell you how many times I've gotten a DM or a text or an email from old players, like asking for help or asking for opportunities or even asking me for money. Like it's, it's real out there. But do you think the NFL, and I say this lightly because I know Mm -hmm. you guys are adult men. I know that once you are 18 years old, you're considered an adult. Mm -hmm. Do you think the NFL has some responsibility to sit you down and say, yo, before you walk in that field today, you're going to take the seminar about financial health. And then you're going to take the seminar again in six weeks. And before every, you know, Mm -hmm. before every start of a season, you need to take the seminar. Why isn't the NFL helping these players to understand this? Because a lot of players come from the hood. And that's true. And I think they need to do a better job of that, to be honest. And I think, you know, certain organizations, I know at the Giants, they, they took that to heart. They, we had meetings, we had, you know, finance meetings, we had meetings with the NFLPA frequently. So I knew from an organization perspective, the Giants had that. They understood that, you know, to a T. Um, but I just think the NFL needs to do a better job, not just with the guys throughout the years, but guys that after they're done. I mean, with yeah. the, those guys need more love because I know if anybody felt the way I felt for those first three or four months after getting cut and after being home and after retiring, 
with nothing to do and a lot on your mind and feeling like you can still play and that anxiety and those mental, that, those mental breakdowns, you know, if I didn't have other things to lean on, like going to ESPN and like going on this lovely network called E, um, I wouldn't be able to do that. I wouldn't know how to do any of that. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. it, it's just tough. It's tough for guys to move forward. Those are the guys that need the love. Cause if it, if it only lasted three months for me, who, it's lasting years for other players. 100%. And who knows? And who knows what type of mental aspect that could take? What type of mental toll that could take on your life? Of course, because yeah. you have been catching footballs since you were 11 years old, mm-hmm. and at 30 years old, you hit the end of it, and you're like, "Wait, where's my where's my worth? Like, exactly. wh- where is why? Where's the accolades? Where's the applause?" Whereas those fans, I don't think it's even about a financial moment. It's about what am I going to do? Yeah, it's that emotional. It's an emotional thing, too. Obviously, it's like, what am I going to do that's going to give me the same level of satisfaction and thrill that I got playing the game of football? Well, the answer to that is nothing. But you can get you can get them there close. You can you try. You, you can, can try. try. You can try. Exactly. And you can try and you can find different joys and different things that you do. And you can find that wholeness there. And, and I think that's where I'm at right now with uh, just doing the TV stuff and, and finding my lane is like I'm finding that wholeness there now. And, uh, and football will always be football. I've always I feel like I've cemented myself in that. And now it's time to conquer other parts of the world. I always wanted to know this. God, tell me all about this. <laughs> There's a few things I've always wanted to know about football. OK. One, let's say you're in the fourth quarter. A team has no more timeouts okay does somebody fake an injury just to get that time out <laughs> i look as a I, I gotta stay strong i gotta plead the fifth on that i don't know oh, i can't i, I can't. knew it i knew it i motherfucking knew it. it it uh it does happen it does happen but the, you just got to be a good actor some guys on defense may not be good at you can't get up do the run and then fall again and then be like ow my knee like you got to just stay down Say that. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> what was the scariest day of your whole career? Oh, man. Scariest day of my whole career. Well, the scariest day was when I got injured, when I tore my patella tendon on Sunday night football in Philadelphia. Um, it was one of the scariest moments of my life because, A, I've never felt anything like that, like in my body kind of just go like that. You know what I mean? Like no one touched me. I was just running and my knee just kind of went. And I was just like, oh my God, I've never felt this type of pain before in my life. So, and I think after that, I'm in the locker room and everyone's tending to me and I'm kind of frantic. I'm kind of going crazy in there. And I just wanted to be told that I could play football again. Like somebody just tell me that I'm going to be all right. Yeah. I'm going to play, I'm going to play football again. And they kind of hesitated in the beginning. I was like, somebody better tell me, like, somebody tell me something. Somebody say something. You know what I'm saying? Say something because I'm going crazy. And our head athletic trainer came up to me and was like, you're going to play football again. You're just going to have to take some time and rehab and get yourself back to 100%, but you're going to play football again. And that's when I kind of relaxed and was chilling. But that was a that was a scary, scary day for me, for sure. Damn. Are the locker rooms really as homophobic as people have said? No, I never experienced it. I, I've never experienced it like that. I think we've always had free flowing conversation. There may have been guys that may not have, you know, use slurs. Walked, yes, hundred percent. I mean, definitely using slurs. That that was a thing that floated around often. But for the most part, you know, everyone was pretty status quo. 
Do you think that if somebody had played at the Giants and came out and played on that field, do you think it would have been an easy ride for him? At the time that you were playing football? No, it wouldn't, it wouldn't have been easy at all. It, it would have been very, very difficult, especially just knowing the atmosphere and, you know, the demographic of some of the athletes that were on the team you knew yes. that this wasn't going to vote over well. If, if it no. ever happened in a locker room, it, w- it wouldn't vote over well. Did you know anybody who was like, I think I might come out? No, I never knew anyone. I never I knew anyone. Know. No one ever. I, I, I've had some ideas. Like there, there's people that you kind of look at and you're just, you know, you kind of create, you, you just think about it like, nah, I don't know. But no one ever came out. No one ever had that conversation with me. And I feel like if, if there was anyone on the team, I'd be the one to have that combo with because I was like friendly with everybody. I was a dude on the yeah. team that was like, I'm cool with, the, you know, with the white boys in the yeah, corner. Yeah. I'm, cool with every, I'm cool with everybody. So like, I think I would have been the one for that conversation to be had with, if anything. Do defense and offense really hate each other? <laughs> no, some of my closest friends play defense, but it depends. If we in between those lines and they on the other side and we on this side, they might hate you between those 60 minutes that we out there playing. But, you know, once that once that game is over, we chopping it up, we can shake hands and we're back to being friends and it's all good. If you were still in the NFL today, mm-hmm. would you take a knee? I would. I believe I would, especially just like seeing how the last three months, just with the Black Lives Matter movement and social inequality and just everything, how it's kind of just exploded. I think I'd be I, I'd be doing myself a disservice if I didn't follow up everything I've been saying with action. You know what I'm saying? But would you have done it when Cap was doing it before all of this all toppled over? Because that's you know, the real question. And I'm not mad at anybody. I'm going to say this no, right now. I am not mad at anybody because I have friends who are like, I want to speak up, but I'm afraid to lose that cash. I'm afraid to lose my job. And I'm like, you know what? I respect that. You are thinking long term. I can't be mm-hmm. mad about that. So you stay in your lane and silently donate to causes exactly. and do your thing. But as an NFL player at the peak of your existence in that industry, would you have taken knee next to Colin Kaepernick? I believe I would have, mainly because I had to understand, right? I've always been a, a, a person that's like, okay, if I'm going to be behind something, let me educate myself or let me mm-hmm. understand why I'm even kneeling or why I would kneel. And then when I began to understand what Colin Kaepernick was talking about, when I began to understand and really peel the curtain back on the social inequalities and, and the racism in this country and the things that were going on, I would have absolutely taken a knee. It just so happens that I literally retired that year. I was out of the league that next year, so I couldn't even have the opportunity to kind of, you know, put my flag in the dirt, so to speak, as a player. I can do it now as an activist and as, you know, from the outside. But as a player, I never got that opportunity. But I would have because I understand where Colin Kaepernick was coming from. And it really opened – it would have opened my eyes to the things that were going on in this country to where back then I would see all these things would probably be a little bit more naive to them or just – it was every day. It was just normal. The things that were kind of out of pocket were just normal everyday things for, for me, you know? Yeah. What was that one team that you wanted to play for as a kid? Well, for me, it was, you know, Giants fans are going to kill me for this, but I grew up a Dallas Cowboy fan. Like, my dad, like, loved the Cowboys and would watch them each and every Sunday. And Emmett oh, Smith, Deion Trey Sanders. and Deion Sanders, they were winning hey. championship. You know, they were America's team. So, like, I grew up on that Cowboy 
side, but I lived in Jersey. So I drove by Giant Stadium every day. I drove by the Meadowlands. I went, you know, I never went to a game there until I was a player, which is crazy. But I would just always just have respect for the Giants and understood what they came from. But I grew up a Dallas Cowboy fan. So, you know, after I left the Giants, I was like, man, if there's any team I'd play for after this, if I could play for the Cowboys yeah. and the Giants, like I could wipe my hands clean. I'm you done. Good. I'm good to go. I'm good to go. You get go. those two jerseys? You get them exactly. two jerseys? What? It's I'm good to go all the way. <laughs> <laughs> when did you have your baby? I had my baby the year we won the Super Bowl, January 9th, 2012. That same, a month before the game. So crazy. Damn. Yeah. I call it my good luck charm because I was like, if you didn't, you know, who knows if we would have won if you weren't born, if you weren't here at the time you were here. Like, it was all pretty much meant to be kind of yeah. thing, you know? Crazy. But what was it like? Because, you know, when you're a football player or any kind of professional athlete or any kind of, you know, celebrity, mm-hmm. your priority is your game and being on top of your game and making sure you show up and show out. Yeah. Because don't have a whack game. It's going to be the motherfuckers you know you who are going to rag you to worst. You, you can't. You better not have a whack game. You better no. not have a whack game. What was it like for you when your priority had to switch? Because... Obviously, like you had been in relationships before, but again, when you go into relationship with a professional athlete, you know, like, I'm not going to be the first priority. What was it like when your daughter became number one? It was a major shift. You know what I mean? Like the normal thing that you would do after a game or after a practice, like your normal schedule changes drastically. You got to get back to the crib and take care of the baby. And it's your turn and feed and all these different things, especially early on. And mind you, I had her the second week of the of the playoffs. So I had her right after the Atlanta Falcons game that night. And I have my daughter like right smack dab in the middle of that. And we brought her with us to the game in Indianapolis to the Super Bowl. And it was like a whole thing. So it definitely changed the, the delegation of, you know, chores and tasks and things like that. But more so emotionally, it gave me the motivation that I needed, I think. It was just like, I got nobody else to play for but this child who's dependent yeah. on me. And my family, like it just brought me that much closer to, you know, my family and and just getting to that Super Bowl. I think if, you know, if Kennedy hadn't been born to really give me that resurgence that I needed, you know, who yeah. knows what would have happened. Did you grow up with your dad? Somewhat. I met my dad when I was seven years old and then he passed away when I was 20. So for 13 years of my life, I had my dad around. We have a similar story. I lost my dad mm-hmm. at 18. But I didn't, I had my dad up until I was in fifth grade. Okay. Um, And then my dad had an accident that left him paralyzed and depressed. So he went into seclusion and didn't really deal and didn't know how to manage. And, you know, he Mm -hmm. had a gambling addiction. So I feel like I had my dad up until I was seven or eight, maybe even nine. And then after that, it was like, it was rap. You know, yeah. and then he died at 18. So I lost him. And sometimes I have this weird thing about being a parent because I don't know what it's like to be a dad because I didn't really grow up around one. Yeah. Did you ever have that like weird feeling of like, you know, I can't believe he missed out on all of this or what do I do? Because I feel like I'm going to have that as a parent. Yeah, I did. I, I, I There's still those moments of like, what am I going to do when she, you know, as Kennedy gets older and older and as she gets, you know, more mature, it's like, well, what do I do at this age? Like, I don't know 
how to handle 13 year old Kennedy. Like, what do I do at 15? Like, I don't know all these different landmarks. I'm, I'm, I have no idea, but I think yeah. luckily throughout those 13 years, like, although we weren't necessarily the closest because I just, you know, it just took time. And, and for it's me, to hard. Kind of over, it's hard, it's you know hard. I mean? And I don't know what to say. I don't know what to even ask. I'm like, what do I even ask you? Like, I don't even know what to ask. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. Like, so and, and then I, the other thing you feel that and I started to cut you off, but the other thing you feel because I never get to commiserate with people like this. Mm-hmm. It's like when you have something that's, you know, you get an award or like you about to have your last game as a senior or it's homecoming and you want to invite that person. Yeah. But then you also like, do you deserve to be here? It's like <laughs> that weird that tug it's of war. That, that tug of war is so real. And I think what would have been better, like God rest his soul, but like if we would have met, if we would have been here now as adults yes. and we could have those real conversations and those, that real talk, like now I want to have those real talks. You know what I'm saying? So oh, it and I been, would apologize. I would apologize. And, and we would have been so, look at this. Yes. Look at this. Oh, Victor. Real. That's so oh, real. I always think about it. I'm like, <laughs> why were you like, even for myself, like, look, I know that if my dad was in his right mind and he felt 100% and like he felt like he could raise a child, I feel like we would have been closer and we would have like, you know, figured it out. Now I know that. Yep. But obviously he was going through some stuff. I now look back at my life and I think to myself, why did you have to be so hard? When he was trying his hardest, why didn't you just like take those little bitty moments and say, okay, I'm happy I have something because. I know people who grew up around the corner who didn't have anything with their, with their dads or their moms were gone or, you know, on crack or, you know what I mean? Like I'm mad at, I get mad at myself sometimes as an adult because I'm like, you were such an asshole. Exactly. And I think for me, I think for those 13 years that I I had my dad, like he taught me so much without, without even speaking. It was just who he was. My dad, I'm going to paint the picture for you of who my dad was. My dad would pick me up summertime, July, just like this. Drop top, baby blue, Ooh. Um, Mercedes C320 drop top, right? What he, was his nickname? No, what was his nickname? No, they called him Mike. They called him Mike. Everybody, Mike. he was a football coach, so they called him Coach Mike. A lot of people called him Coach Mike. So he come, no shirt on, hat to the back, sunglasses, Maurice Malone shorts, with the underwear, you know, in the 90s, the underwear uh-huh. had to be out, you see what's going uh-huh. on. And then either a pair of Tim's just open, mind you, shorts with Tim's, he's fully from Jersey, like the whole thing. Or a pair of uh, Nikes or Jordans, whatever. Like that was that was my dad all the time. Waving with a beeper. Driving with a beeper and a cell phone, beeper cell phone combo. Like, oh, oh. So like just him pulling up on me and the reaction he would get from people, everybody loved him his interactions, his conversations. He was funny when he needed to be. He was serious when he needed to be. And I would just draw, I was just literally sponging all of that as a kid. And now I think, you know, my mother always jokes with me and like, she's like, every so often when I do something, when I say something, she's like, you're your father right now. You know, you're Mm -hmm. acting like Michael right now. You know what I mean? She hit me with that one. And that's when I know, like, I am him. Like I am literally him reincarnated but with a little bit more swag. Just a, just a little bitch, bitch. I see your corny ass in the morning with that wife beater on, trying to act like you coach Mike and she. <laughs> oh my God. How's co-parenting been with your ex? 
Co-parenting has been great. I think, you know, it, it didn't start off that way naturally because, you know, on both sides, like both of us just resented each other in the beginning and just went through that phase of just like, don't talk to me, you know, don't yeah. pick up your daughter. I'll call you or just creating these weird barriers and like, call me after eight. You're like, what are you talking about? Like yeah. little things like that to make each other's lives difficult, you know? Yeah. Um, but I think now as we've matured and it's been a few years and like, we've both reached a level of maturity. It's like, now it's, now it's at its best. Now we just have conversations about our child, you know, we put our egos aside and just we're able to have normal dialogue in reference to Kennedy and, and in reference to her well-being and what she wants to do and having this open, free dialogue with each other. And it's honestly been great. And, and that was the one thing I was scared of because, you know, how about, you know, how these generational curses happen, right? With your dad, mm -hmm. my, you know, mm -hmm. my dad wasn't with my mom and then the next. Yeah. So I didn't want to. So part of me was like, man, I don't want to continue this generational curse, but I understood that in order for me to best for me to be the best version of myself, I had to separate myself from that situation. 100%. And you know what I mean? So it's been great, though. The communication, Kennedy's phenomenal and just it couldn't it couldn't have gone any better uh, up until this point. Well, I think, you know, you guys are both young. It was so much. I was seven. She knew me since I was 16, 17. I'm a growing college years. It was just a lot. It was a lot to go through. Oh, y'all probably drug each other through the dirt from 16 until y'all had that baby on and off and on and off. Yeah. I mean, it had its peaks of like being so much fun and like you love this and and it's great. And then it had its, it definitely had its, it had its lows too. I'm happy that you guys. I'm happy that you guys have gotten to that place. That's like a really yeah. beautiful thing. I will say, I'm not petty, and I can put my ego aside when it comes to my future kids. And if we were on a good <laughs> place, I would be cool. But the minute you walked into the door with Karuchi, oh, oh, we God. we were gonna fight. We were gonna fight. No, 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 not her, not her. She's cute. She's nice. No, 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 no. You ain't gonna anybody, anybody. You ain't gonna bring that body up in here. No, Victor. No. I thought you were gonna date some thought with two hairs and lips that are really like oversized and a booty that she got in Mexico. Do not bring that thing in here. No, she is not from this planet. No. <laughs> I can already see it. Like, nope, nope, we're not doing this. We're not doing you this. Know, because this is what you would do. This is what you're going to do. Because I know how black men work. I know how black men work. Uh -huh, I'm kind of seeing somebody. No, it's cool. We just started. Like, it's not that big of a deal. You know, like, I'm not trying to jinx it. Okay, okay. No, cool. No worries. Oh, yeah, yeah. I want to, like, maybe I might come over on Sunday. Maybe, you know, for the barbecue, for the birthday party. I'm like, oh, yeah, okay. bring her over. Yeah. What kind of wine she like? That would be me. What kind of wine she like? <laughs> and then you would walk in with her and my sister would be like, mm, girl, he here with Karuchi. <laughs> And I'd be in the bathroom like this. Okay. My hair good. Oh, Victor. Oh, God. Victor. Anybody but her, Victor. Anybody but her. You know, it's about the ones you can bring home to mama. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And Karuchi is someone that is just someone I can bring her home to mama. You know what I mean? She's nice. She knows how to cook. She's humble. She's family oriented. She understands me. She's funny. Yeah. She's just all of the above, man. And it's just like, all right, I think I could uh, think I could do this. <laughs> but I mean, look, everybody in the game was salivating 
over this woman. There were songs about her. There were dudes like, I would give everything for her. <laughs> you might have to fight a dude at some point in your life. I'm ready. Lucky you ready? I mean, I don't have to put all this muscles on and stuff all, all these years for a reason. I knew it had to come together for a reason. It wasn't just for catching footballs across the middle, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> and you know I'm in the back like this. He from Patterson. You don't want to <laughs> with him inside the car. Gotta have the hype man. I gotta have the hype man. <laughs> Do you see yourself after all those years living in New York, relocating here in Los Angeles? I, I do, at least to a certain degree. I think I do see myself spending a lot more time here in Los Angeles just for work and just different opportunities. And obviously my girlfriend lives here. And I've already given her the like, hey, would you, uh, you know, what if you had to move to New Jersey? She was like, what? <laughs> was like, what? <laughs> that's out. Uh, looks like that's not an option. So, so, but yeah. And you I probably tried I, to do it. You probably tried to do it like right after, like <laughs> when everybody's all like relaxed. That's when they try to bring it up. Like, babe, I just, you know, just a hypothetical. What if you have to just live in Jersey for a little while? She was like, what? Never. And I was like, (laughs) okay, uh, I guess that's out. Um, But yeah, I do see myself being bi-coastal, being here whenever I need to be here, you know, being back in Jersey. You know, so much of my home and my life is in Jersey, uh, Jersey, New York, that it's hard to leave that as well. So I see myself kind of being, you know, on both coasts. When are we going to hang out in Los Angeles? Uh, whenever you're ready. I'm out to go. I'm going back to New York soon now, unfortunately, but I'm down. What's up? We can hang by that pool on Sunday. <laughs> you better ask uh, your mom if I can come over. I got to make sure if it's okay. I got to make sure it's okay. I got to vet it out with the family. <laughs> I got to vet it out with the family. <laughs> Victor, thank you so much for taking this sip. If people want to find out more about the Victor Cruz Foundation, where can they go? Uh, they can go to victorcruzfoundation.org. They can go to the Victor Cruz Foundation Instagram page. There's a ton of content on there. And then obviously they can follow me at Victor Cruz on Instagram. I can lead y'all anywhere y'all, y'all need to go in terms of the foundation and everything that, I'm, that, that, that I got going on. And for people who are listening that don't know about the STEM programs and the programs that can help them later on in life, where do you suggest they look for that information? Uh, you can still go to victorcruzfoundation.org, but you can also go to the Boys and Girls Club of America.com and go to the New Jersey sites, and it has all the programming information there as well. And uh, and yeah, we're working closely with the Boys and Girls Club, amongst other organizations in Patterson, and just trying to bring the kids to light, bring them all the resources, give them everything they need to succeed. He's still gonna fight a dude. Don't <laughs> let this these gold chains fool you. He, he will fight a dude. He still got muscles over here. <laughs> I love you. Peace out, everybody. Peace. You guys, thanks for listening. And do not forget to subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. And you can follow me at The Lady Sitter and be sure to come back every week for another pour of your favorite celebrity.